What do the confessions have to say about Jordan Peterson? For those of you who don't know, Jordan Peterson is a psychotherapist who has risen to prominence. He claims to be culturally Christian, even though he's not a member of Christ in his church. And he's risen to prominence as a thought leader in some circles because he has some things to say that are somewhat helpful in the world of politics and of the culture war. Jordan Peterson has written some books that are mildly helpful in how to live a useful, productive, and virtuous life. But when he starts talking about the Bible, he fundamentally misunderstands Christianity. When he starts talking about the Bible, he will tell you that it's the story of what you can do, how you can make yourself better and whole, and he misses Christ. And when we consider Jordan Peterson and people like him, the question rises, how can he be so right about some things, not all the time, but so right about some things, and yet so horribly off in his reasoning about God? And the confessions teach us. Our confessional text tonight actually teaches us how to think about Jordan Peterson because it teaches us how to think about our fallen neighbors who are image bearers of God. So our confession tonight teaches us why our image bearing neighbors need the gospel. And as we look at all of this tonight, the main theme of our study is this. In the gospel, God did what the law could not do. We've got two points. The first point is actually split into two points, two subpoints. So the first point is this, what the law cannot do. That's a two-parter. 1A, what natural law can't do, and 1B, what Moses cannot do. And then secondly, point two, what God has done. So point one, what the law can't do. Point B, what God has done. So point 1A, what the law can't do, specifically what Natural law cannot do. This is the glorious doctrine of natural law and the image of God. God made you in his image. When God created us as humans, he created us with the law written on our hearts. He created us in, with a conscience. He gave us the ability to know what's wrong and what's right. And he gave us knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. God created us so that we could serve him with natural law. He created us so that we could serve him with the law written on our hearts. He created us so that we could know him rightly, that we could love him with all our hearts and live with him in eternal blessedness to the praise of his glory. But as Pastor Jared has reminded us so many times, when Adam sinned in the garden, he actually sinned against his nature. Adam broke natural law. And yet in mercy, God did not kill Adam. And in judgment, God left the image there. He did not wipe it out completely. Your neighbor is an image bearer of God, but it's a perverted image. It's twisted, it is distorted, and your neighbor cannot use the image to do what it was made for. God has left little glimmers of that light of nature in each and every one of your neighbors. So your Hindu Hindu neurosurgeon neighbor does not know rightly and truly the one true God. But he can know things. In fact, he probably knows how to cut your head open without killing you. And we're glad. Your atheist district judge neighbor knows or or is not truly righteous before God, and yet every once in a while she can make useful judgments. Your spiritual but not religious crystal shopkeeper neighbor is not holy before God. 
and yet she knows she ought to be, and she's got a conscience. She's got a conscience that pricks her every time you pay 180 bucks for a chunk of the hill out back. The little glimmers of the light of nature are there in your neighbor, and it's what lets us have a society that's not completely depraved and degenerate. Every image bearer knows we need good and fair laws for a just and peaceful society. And sometimes God even allows us to flourish for a little bit with that common understanding. But more often than not, we use that perverted image to ruin society and make it the worst. People enslave other people and treat them in the most cruel and dehumanizing ways possible. People every day in this country are sinning against their own bodies, and people murder their children. And every time a politician or philosopher promises some utopia, you end up with piles of dead people or a really weird cult. The image is twisted beyond the ability to do what it was made for. On the last day, those trying to use that little glimmer of nature to justify themselves before God will only face condemnation. And that's because in Adam, all the image can do is accuse us. The image can only accuse us. It leaves us without excuse because it tells us we have misused it. It tells us we knew better, we knew what we ought to have done, and we have failed. So how do the confessions teach us to think about Jordan Peterson? They teach us to think that he's an image bearer of God who feels what he's supposed to feel. He feels that natural drive to do the right thing. And the confessions tell us he might even do the right thing sometimes. He retains some notions about God, says Article 4. Natural things, notions about God, natural things, and the difference between what is moral and immoral, and demonstrates a certain eagerness for virtue and for good outward behavior. But he's an image bearer who cannot know God by the light of nature, by natural law. This is what the natural law cannot do. And we know that because when God spoke the law even more clearly at Sinai, it didn't help. This is point 1B, what Moses can't do. So we've looked at what natural law can't do. We've looked, we're looking now at what Moses can't do. When Yahweh delivered the law at Sinai, he gave it as the perfect rule of righteousness. It is the most clear articulation of everything you were made for. When Yahweh, but when Yahweh revealed the law at Sinai, he revealed it in thunder. And that's because in Adam, Moses can only pronounce curses on you. Moses can only tell you more clearly what the natural law already told you. And it's that you stand condemned and without excuse. You have misused the image and you will never get to God by use of the image. So when Yahweh spoke at Sinai, he spoke a mirror that showed us clearly our filth. But you can't wipe yourself off with a mirror. The first word of the church in response to the law is pleading that Yahweh would stop speaking. Moses, you talk to him. If he speaks to us again, we're going to die. The law is good and holy, and we are not. When Yahweh spoke the Ten Commandments, the reason we call the first use of the law the first use of the law is because it's literally the first thing the law does, is it drives the church to Christ. He spoke it to tell us what we cannot do so that we would flee to Christ and be saved. But in Christ, God has hushed the law's loud thunder and he has quenched the flame of Mount Sinai, which brings us to point two, what God has done. 
So we've looked at what the natural law can't do, what Moses can't do, and now we can see what God has done. The good news of the gospel is that God the Father has sent his Messiah, and then God the Father has also sent the Holy Spirit to unite you to the Messiah. God has sent his Son to be the Messiah. The good news of the law-gospel distinction is that God has done what the law could not do, and that he spoke both the law and the gospel in order to save you. God spoke the law to you at Sinai so that he would drive you to Christ and so that he could give you Christ. He gave the law to his people so that they could see their need for salvation from more than just physical slavery in Egypt. And by grace, that's the first thing they see. God spoke Moses to drive you to Christ. That's true for both the Old and the New Testaments. That's how we can say that the Bible is one big story about Jesus. And that's because God has spoken Moses not just to drive you to Christ, but in order to give you Christ. God spoke Moses because, as Paul says, why then the law? It was added because of the transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. God spoke Moses so that his son could be born of a wound, born under the law, and use the image rightly. When Christ was born of a woman, he was born to redeem us, and, and born under the law, he was born to redeem us by right imaging of God. He is the image of the invisible God. What natural law and what Moses could not do, God has done in Christ. And anyone who denies that denies Dort. The law is not the gospel, but it drives us to the gospel. It did so in the Old Testament, and it does so in the New. But the good news of the gospel is that it's not some new, easier standard. It's the good news of the gospel is not that God just said, well, the Decalogue was a lot to expect from you. I'm going to give you a newer, easier work of belief. That is not what the gospel is. The gospel is what God does. The gospel is, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The gospel is God makes people alive by the power of his Holy Spirit every Lord's Day through the preaching of the word. Every Lord's Day, the Holy Spirit's work is going on in the church. Every Lord's Day, ministry is happening in the church. And every Lord's Day, the God, the Holy Spirit, uses the folly of preaching in the church to make dead people alive. And it's through no work, worthiness, or effort of their own. So every Lord's Day, the ordinary work of supernatural resurrection is happening by the ministry of the church. Through the proclamation of the law and gospel, in the ministry of reconciliation. Every Lord's Day, the true church of Christ is preaching the gospel purely. We've been proclaiming the news that the law, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, God has done. God the Father has done. God the Holy Spirit has done. And God the Son has done. The Trinity has conspired to save you. And we've been proclaiming this good news since the day God made that first gospel promise to Adam and Eve in paradise, and we will continue to proclaim it to the end of the world. The legalists in Paul's day could not stop the church from being the means of the work of the Holy Spirit. Pelagius could not ruin the pure preaching of the gospel in the 4th century, neither could Arminius in the 17th, and neither could Baxter's disciples in the Merrill controversy as we've been studying, and no preacher today who denies the law gospel distinction can stop it either. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is the work of his church in proclaiming the glorious gospel and applying that glorious gospel to the hearts and souls of those whom God has chosen. The Holy Spirit does what nature and what Moses cannot. The Holy Spirit uses that word to produce faith and make dead people alive. And so the confessions actually teach us one more thing about how to think about Jordan Peterson. They tell us he's a neighbor who needs the gospel and he needs to be invited to church. We should go into his comments section and do so. Amen. Would you rise with me and sing the song of Zechariah number 294? At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.